The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. In my head, I'm thinking, is there a direct correlation between the fact that the price of insulin has gone up and why the percentage of amputations has gone up and the percentage of deaths has gone up because to me that doesn't seem like a coincidence like i'm looking at the insulin price increases 1972 a vial of insulin used to be nine dollars 1996 it was 33 dollars 2010 it was 110 dollars 2017, $275. So to me, it doesn't strike me as just a coincidence that people in lower income neighborhoods or areas or communities are now seeing more amputations, more deaths, and strangely enough, the price of insulin has increased so much. You know, that is a very significant point, which I never thought of. But as you're mentioning that, the amputations were actually going down till about 207 or 2009. And that's when they started going up again. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that you are correct to suggest there might well be a correlation with that. What are the main fears and concerns of these types of communities, Chris, like right now? Because from my life with diabetes, Obviously, I think about my diabetes a lot. It's a massive part of my life because it's something that I have to manage each day. And Mm -hmm. up to this point, I've been phenomenally lucky in Ireland to get something called a long-term illness scheme. It's like an LTI, we call it. But basically, yeah, (laughs) long-term illness scheme, that's what it's called. So you get an LTI number. Uh And that basically gives you lifetime access to free insulin because it's a lifelong condition. So wow. it's something That's that, wonderful. of course, it's a, a big shock to be diagnosed. And of course, to live with it, it can be difficult. But the financial pressure hasn't been there. So you're obviously involved with these types of communities quite frequently. Like, what what do they think? What do they say about this? Like, what are their fears? Well, I think there's two fears. The rates are so high now. We're, we're, we're hitting... Um community districts in the Bronx where now 25% of people have diagnosed diabetes. And when you say fears, 
I think there's two fears. I mean, you can see on the street, there's so many people with amputations. You see people in wheelchairs on the street with their feet, with their legs missing. So people have a great fear of that because that's what they see. But I think when people do have diabetes, what their greatest fear is, their eyes. Mm. And it's a, I know it's a little bit different with type 1 diabetes when you start to um, uh, have your eyes checked and do other things for your vision. But here, because th this is really another thing that I can barely make myself think about. We have people here and, you know, they really turn themselves around and they're peer educators. They go out and educate the community. Anyway, about half of people in the United States who have diabetes have some vision loss or 4% have full blindness. But in between that, the once once you start to have some kind of recognizable vision loss, that changes your life. That's what you worry about all the time. And something that's breaking my heart, there's a few things that do. We got through, it was amazing. I mean, it's not enough people for, you know, like official population health study. We didn't have anyone die in COVID. We were in the worst area of the city. Yeah, people got COVID, but they survived and only one ended up in the ICU. And we don't just have people with diabetes, that's our main thing, we have people with HIV, uh, asthma, all, all these conditions. Some people have three conditions. I mean, we have a peer educator on dialysis who survived COVID, which was fairly rare. Uh, we have people who have diabetes, HIV, and cancer. Now, part of this was blind luck that people didn't die, but it wasn't all blind luck because they knew how to take care of themselves. You know, I'm not saying we don't we don't all do, you know, the mayor of New York does plant based eating. OK, <laughs> well, we're not all vegetarians. <laughs> OK, but they had changed enough. That they were in, you know, pretty good health, especially compared with regular health in the United States. So no one died, which really, really, I just, when it started, I thought, oh my God, we're doomed. But so that to me showed the power of people really having the opportunity, not just handing them pamphlets and lecturing them, but having the opportunity to sit down and really learn how to take care of themselves and what good health is. On the other hand, even though they survived COVID, some of them are really clearly headed toward blindness, even though they lost all that weight, they cut their blood sugar in half. And that's because no one intervened early enough to save their eyes. If they'd done these things when they were first diagnosed, but no one told them, and they're still not telling people today, probably they would have saved their eyes if they'd done it earlier. So this is what people think about because once, again, in the US, half of people with type two are gonna have some vision loss. But once that starts, e even if it's mild vision loss, you're gonna worry night and day.
What's going to happen here? I think it's so cruel. I think it's I think it's a public health crime, but it's utter cruelty. The insulin was utter. It still is, but it was cruelty, and that's where I can't explain things. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It, it almost changes how you feel and how you think because it's now in your head that you know I've I've seen this change, I've seen this this impact on my site potentially. And now, like, you can't escape looking at things each right. day. It's almost like you're constantly reminded of it. So when you say people changed when this happened, what do you mean by that specifically? Is it just because it's like the mental strain that it has on people? Yes, yeah, like people who ordinarily don't complain about things too much. I, I, I think it's like they're in kind of a mild trauma all the time. Because this is what they're focused on. What sort of education do you feel is most necessary? When you look at the people who you've been in contact with, the people that you've worked with on the types of programs that you do, what type of education, Chris, do you feel has been most beneficial or has had the biggest positive impact on these people's lives? Well, we, we do a very specific, it's called the Diabetes Self-Management Program. And it's six sessions of two and a half hours apiece. It's in small groups where people can support each other, brainstorm together. How do we find fresh food in our neighborhood, <laughs> et cetera? Not always easy, but they support each other, which is very important. They don't feel, you know, like stigmatized like they often do. So to me, these small group courses are really the best thing in person. Not everyone can go to an in-person small group course. So then you would do it online. But I think it's key that it's a group and also that it's multiple sessions that combine real facts. Uh, you know, the first time you suggest to people, why don't you read the label of everything you're re- eating? They'll be like, what? <laughs> Uh, as you know from being in the United States, it's so sad. Even um, a lot of yogurt has been changed. It's got so much sugar in it now. It's been changed to kind of a poisonous um, food product. It's not really yogurt, but they can call it yogurt. (laughs) Horrifying. Baby yogurt is like that. So it's very painful in some respects because you see people – I mean, we here just have to read the label of of everything we eat. And then things are so deceptive. Like if it says fructose, it sounds like fruit. It's actually the worst form of sugar that does the worst to you. So when they when they have a chance to really sit down and, you know, look at the facts and study it. That's very important and it's very empowering because now they're not like, gee, I'm trying to. uh, We never put anyone on a diet, by the way. Um, it's like changing what you eat. But, you know, maybe they put themselves on diets. I think almost everybody, with, oh, almost everybody in the United States by now has put themselves on a diet <laughs> and given up. Okay. So, and, you know, they're like baffled. I tried so hard, it didn't work. But when you say, look at what you're eating, when, when they're telling you, the one, the one that really is, you know, when you see people buying what it says, low fat or no fat food, 
and they're spending extra to do that. And you know, they're trying to do that because everybody told them they should lose weight. Those have more sugar than anything. It's the you know, worst thing. They'd be better off eating, uh, you know, what? A couple of slices of bacon or something. I mean, so really sitting people down and, and letting them go through this and then having them work together to see. And it's week by week. You, they make their own plan. We don't, we, don't, we don't tell them. We say, okay, so based on what you know now, what, what would you think you could do just this week to change something? Something that's feasible for you. You have to decide. If they say, I could give up one soda, we say, great, let's do that. And that's the way, step by step, because people feel such lack of control over this. For them to step by step see they control, maybe it's just one small thing, but now they see that actually the control is in their hands. So the impression that I get, Chris, is the, the type of education that these people are exposed to that you've obviously been offering, it's highlighting the fact that a lot of it is in your control to a certain extent. You know, pay attention to the type of foods that you're eating. Pay attention to the amounts of food that you're eating. And primarily, like if, if somebody's listening to this podcast right now and they've just been diagnosed or they have been for a while, haven't had any access to any sort of education diabetes-wise, what's one main focus you would tell them to prioritize or what's one one of those steps that you feel would have the biggest return on investment in terms of energy and time i think the biggest return would be to learn what the disguised sugar is and stay away from it as much as you can because that will also um that will also veer them toward more natural unprocessed food and whatever is in the processed food, it just kind of screws up your body. So that will do two things at once. So when you look forward, Chris, even personally, into the future of access to insulin, access to healthcare mm-hmm. in, these, in these types of areas and the people that have just essentially been neglected, for lack of a better term, what do you see over the next five, 10 years compared to... What do you hope wow. I have to say that is really so hard to say. I know what I would like to see. I think people with diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, have so much to offer other people because they've been through this struggle. They know what it is. Uh, they make tremendous teachers and educators for others. So what I would like to see is an expansion of peer education in, in both those communities. I would also like to see, there was activism for, um, for the insulin prices. But I mean, to me, I think we should have marches about this amputation rate. Mm. Uh, and maybe there's a way those communities, they've been a little separated because of their different histories and, you know, could work more together to build on the strengths that they've developed and have those strengths, the education, the working together, really come be part of what is health in the United States. 
So what do you think is going to happen? If that's if that's I what don't. you hope, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know one. because our our um, our political situation here, I hardly need tell you, mm. is just incomprehensible. So a lot of this depends. I'll go back. For example, in AIDS, it was very interesting because even before there were any medications. There was something called the Ryan White Act, and it was the first time it was federal legislation. It was the first time actual, I see, I think so much of this belongs in the community. You cannot do these things from huge medical centers. You know, you can have a few community health workers or so on, but you cannot, the community has to do it themselves, and they have to be enabled to do it themselves. Uh, so the Ryan White that put out millions and millions in federal money under the CDC, where for the first time, actual community groups could get funding from the Federal Centers for Disease Control. Usually their funding just went to, you know, the official institutions. The infection rates, and, and that's a lot where peer education started to come up in the United States, even though that was an infectious epidemic. I mean, we did it. We were out on the street all the time. Uh, so people were just out desperately doing prevention night and day. The infection rates came down. Obviously, the gay community had a lot of peer projects. The, um, the injected drug use community, we had women's projects. So even with an infectious disease, that kind of community action and community access to funding, and I'm not talking about, you know, mammoth, mammoth, but at least some, I wish I were talking about mammoth, mammoth. <laughs> so what I would like to see, and I don't know if it can get through, is for diabetes to have the same kind of funding where communities can go out, educate their people around them and in their neighborhoods or their group or whatever, and build build up that sense of empowerment, which is which is what will start to defeat this. Can that go through our Congress now? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> or can anything really, really constructive for type one and type two diabetes? Well, the insulin was, but you know, really overall go through. So that's why I'm having trouble. But that's what I'd like to see. So if there was somebody listening to this, Chris, who is a quote-unquote ordinary person and yeah. lives with diabetes, manages the, the condition as best they can, may struggle financially to get the supplies that they need on a consistent basis. What should they do? Is there anything ordinary people can do right now to, to try and push this further at a faster rate so that everybody in the United States has essentially equal access to medication that they need? Mm -hmm. I, I think where they are, to, they should, you know, try and find if there's a diabetes group, you know, somewhere within a distance that they can go to and, and start getting involved. And they'll start to feel better already because they won't feel so powerless. Chris, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's uh, eye-opening, given the fact that I obviously come from Ireland and it's a different world in terms of how diabetes yeah. is managed over there compared to the US. So it's unbelievable to say the least, like what has gone on, what continues to go on. And even just reading out the price increases, it's almost like a joke reading it. 
because it's well, so so much of an increase. It's unbelievable. I think I'm going to make a graph with your observation about insulin price increases in the amputation rate. No, that's a very important observation. To me, that doesn't scream coincidence, Mm -hmm. Chris. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing that graph. Right? We can draw. We can draw attention towards it, Chris. Where can people find out more about you? I know you uh, have an array of accolades to your name and where can people find out more about health people and the programs and education services that you run? Uh, it's, it's on uh, healthpeople.org. Healthpeople, one word. We'll link everything related to Chris below in the description. If you really enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, let's try and get involved anyway. And, we can. And so we'll you can come see those back. links. They, they can join our, uh, March. We'll have the March. Absolutely. And, and, well, look, we're, in, we're in New York together now, Chris, so we, we can make something happen. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate subscribe and share it really really helps the podcast get heard by more people when you rate when you subscribe and when you share if you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far likely someone else would be too if you have any questions or stories for myself and graham please do not hesitate to reach out we absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions you can do this through the insulone podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier, and happier within my type 1% better online program, you can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars, and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.